Yo. Yo. What's going on? How are you, you beautiful, beautiful man? It's been a long time. Yeah, we were off for a week. Yeah, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm still a little stuffy, but I'm okay. I had two negative tests, so it says I can come in here. I had two negative tests as well. Snow Cone says he had a negative test. He takes that, but that picture that he shows of his negative test, it looks like the same picture each time. I- well, there's an easy way to check. You can check the metadata on it. <laughs> check the metadata it on is. it. I, I guess that. I could do you that. Just I take the picture and scroll up. I, could, I just I trust you. I don't think you're coming here and give us COVID on purpose. No. Well, he, he did though, didn't he? I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You I were took it this morning. You you seem to be the first to come down with something, and then we yeah. all got it, and so it's been a long right. time. But we're here to do the podcast, and I did feel like hell for about four days, though. Yeah, did I you? feel like you got it pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, just not great, you know, <clears throat> like just really tired, sore throat, runny nose, like, and just, you know, but I took two tests and I didn't have it. Yeah. So maybe I just got a cold. I don't know. Like, oh, you know, that's so weird, right? I feel like I had a cold before I tested positive, too. Right. And the test, there's so many of those false negatives with yeah. those tests because you're doing it yeah. yourself. We're not doctors. Right. <laughs> Trying to shove that thing far enough up my nose and make sure I mix the right amount of liquid in there. Right. So it's knows? hard to tell. It's on whether. a piece of cardboard. I'm like, how accurate can this thing possibly be? I'm just <laughs> right. dripping this on here. But we're here now to do the podcast. Yeah. And I'm excited, Lazo. Yeah, our old friend Tony Ortega. Yes. People have been asking or, you know, giving us recommendations. The suggestions, things they'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast, different topics. And from multiple people, we've heard the same thing. Hey, why don't you go back and talk to old friends of the program? And Tony Ortega's name specifically came up. We've known Tony for a long time. If you've seen any of these documentaries about Scientology, like Going Clear on HBO, The Leah Remini Show, any of those, you've seen Tony Ortega. Mm -hmm. He is an expert on Scientology. He's written books about Scientology. He runs the Underground Bunker. He's been covering the Danny Masterson trial. And he's been going to court every day, going to the trial. I see. I follow him on Twitter. I see he gives updates throughout the day, um, I, you know, when they come out for recess or whatever, and then at the end of the day, because there's no cameras there. So if you want updates, he's kind of the go-to guy. Right. And we thought, well, this would be a good time to talk to him because all this is going on, and we haven't talked to him in a no. long time. So and We've been friends for 20 years, probably. Yes. I would say it's got to be close to 20 years. So we'll talk to him about the... Uh, Janie Masterson and Scientology right, The letter and that, that I got, and then me and him will argue because I'll tell him there is no difference between any of the... You're going to do that right? again, huh? He'll get real pissed. Okay. I love getting him real pissed. Let's go, Snow Cone. Get this guy on the phone. Yo, Tony Ortega, how are you? Laszlo, can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you great. Sounds like you're in, a, in an underground bunker. <laughs> <laughs> Which he is. <laughs> How you been, Tony? Slim fast. I'm doing good. Good. Uh, Tony Ortega, for people. Now, people have actually, they've got on our subreddit. They've asked about you, Tony. They've said, what you should do for your podcast is get a hold of Tony Ortega. And I was like, well, we can do that. We still know how to get a hold of him. And Tony has had a mission really since we, we met. I don't know what year it was. God, how many years ago was that, Tony? We used to go to dinner together. 20? 15? Like, like uh... 2003, 2004. Wow. Okay. So about 20 years, almost 20 years. And then uh, Tony went off to do uh, the Village Voice, right? And then started the Underground Bunker. And I don't, when I, when we used to hang out with you, I don't think Scientology ever came up once. I don't know if you were interested in Scientology then or not. But since then, it's been your life's work to expose Scientology. Well, I had started writing about Scientology uh, in Los Angeles, in Phoenix and Los Angeles in the mid-90s. But when I was in Kansas City, there was no Scientology to write about. So, yeah. I, you know, there was plenty of local politics to focus on. Yeah. But yeah, I've been writing. In 2011, I decided to give myself the job of Daily Beat reporter on Scientology. What a dumbass, huh? But, you know, <laughs> I've had fun with it. Yeah, other than the fact that Scientology, I'm, you know... In the past, when we've talked, I know we, you're in every Scientology documentary. If you're watching something on TV about Scientology, Tony Ortega is bound to appear. And I know that Scientologists have this. Uh, I'm scared to even say this because I mean they wrote Lazo letter and that whole. Well, do you remember stuff that? Thing. I mean, God, there's so much to you know unpack with you, Tony. But when me and you were on the air, and I said that all religions are dumb, and me and you kind of had a little bit of a you know a fun debate about it that uh, the Scientology people wrote me a letter, but they also forgot that they put the other part of that letter in there where they said I was talking about squirrely stuff and keep an eye on me and all these things. Do you remember all that? Yes, 
Absolutely. They said they were telling people don't listen to Laszlo's show because it has squirrel stuff. Right. Yeah. And I called you and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like sounded so crazy to me. What is squirrel stuff? And then you you uh you uh, you explained it to me, which was we were kind of giving away the ending of the book. Like, we are ruining Harry Potter for some people, right? Which they say isn't exactly. actually the the tr- true ending. They don't want people to think coming in that the stuff that we were talking about or that South Park talked about or any of that is actually what they believe. Isn't that true? Well, the, in Scientology, pretty much the worst thing you can call somebody is a squirrel. And what that refers to are people who are doing Scientology stuff outside of the official church. And so basically, they don't want Scientologists to hear certain things before they're supposed to. And so you were openly talking about those things, which squirrels do. And so that's why they were telling people, don't listen to his show because it's got squirrel stuff. Okay, I look, man. I don't hate Scientology as much as everybody else does, and you know that, but we're going to get into everything that we know about it, and you are the expert, but I don't understand what, what a squirrel means. Right, why do they, bring, why why they a get squirrel, that Like a tattletale or a bird or something that chirps or uh, something that lies, but what is a squirrel? What, what is that? I don't know why Hubbard settled on that term, but what you know, one of the key things to, to understand about Scientology is it's all about control. It's about information control. It's about environment control. And once you get into their whole thing, they want to have a very, very tight control of what you read, what you hear. And so they hate when people go outside and say, well, here's everything. You know, here's all the secrets. Right. They absolutely hate that. And that's a that's a person they will accuse of being a squirrel. Got it. And for some reason, Hubbard, that's the term he used. And of course, everything is based on the stuff that he said and wrote. And and all Lazo got in that moment was we saw this letter that was supposed to be like an inner office letter that they accidentally included in the letter to the station. But for you, Tony, as a squirrel, they go after you a lot harder, right? I mean, I assume I think we've talked about this well, in the I'm past. I'm not but... a squirrel. See that, and let me just make make it clear. I'm not a squirrel. You have to be a Scientologist to be a squirrel. What they're oh. saying is that you're a Scientologist who is violating their rules by doing stuff outside of the control of the church. So they thought I was a Scientologist? No, but you were talking about stuff that squirrels do. Oh, I got it. Okay. Which would be giving the stuff away. Didn't it say also in that letter, and I remember sending you that letter, it was in the Village Voice, it said also something like, almost like, take it easy on him too, he hates all religions or something, wasn't there something in there about that? (laughs) I don't remember that part, but yeah. yeah. it was like, you know, he doesn't really hate, he hates everything, so, but he does, you know, have people not listen to him, he talks squirrel stuff. Do you remember that, Sam? I I don't know for sure. I don't, I mean, I know that we talked about it. I know that... Once the letter showed up, because at that point I was already interested in the whole thing, you know, and I and I felt like Lazo, you were kind of coming after me and Tony yes. because I was like, this religion doesn't make any sense. And once the the letter showed up, I was like, I I think I'd better be nice because I don't want them going through my garbage. Right. And I was afraid that they would. I'd heard that they had, and I'm pretty sure that that's what they have been, you know, that they have done that to you in the past, right, Tony? Oh, they've thrown a bunch of different operations at me trying to you know mess with me, but I. I just try to ignore them. I mean, do they still show up with in those documentaries? You see the the Scientologists show up with their what? Are they, I think it says like squirrel hunters or something. Whatever that group is called, and they've got squirrel busters. Squirrel busters. Squirrel busters. Squirrel busters. <laughs> and they- all right, let me ask you this, Tony, because yeah. it is kind of you know yeah. it's all this squirrel stuff and everything. Again, we're talking to Tony Ortega, the Underground Bunker. Any documentary about Scientology, Tony Ortega is the expert. But at some point. You've been at least uh, uh, some sort of enemy to Scientology since the mid '90s, right? At some point, when you I hear pe- reporting, on okay, reporting on them, when you hear people say words like squirrel busters and stuff, do you think this is ludicrous? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense what's happening here. Like, I don't even understand why I'm involved in it. Like, what is happening? Like, it's not, all the stuff that I hear just sounds so... It's ridiculous. Almost so over the top that it's a, it's a TV show. It's a caricature of itself, you know? Like, well, it takes everything that's really, bad in religion and makes it more absurd. Well, it's a really interesting moment right now. I, I have my original site, TonyOrtega.org, but I went to Substack back in June. I've got a 
Substack called TonyOrtega.substack.com, and that's where I'm putting all my reporting now. And right now is one of the most crucial times in in Scientology history, really. I'm in Los Angeles covering the Danny Masterson rape trial. Right. And, you know, Danny Masterson is a Scientology celebrity. The three women he's accused of raping were Scientologists at the time. There's, there's just tons of Scientology in the case. Uh, it's a huge moment. So that's that's what and I've you broke that story, right? Didn't you break that story originally? I broke. I originally broke the story that Danny Masterson was under investigation by the LAPD in March 2017, and I've been following every step of it since then. So this is kind of like you know, in in my little world of Scientology reporting. This is kind of like the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> right, you've been going okay. to the trial and everything. And why why is that the Super Bowl? Is it and let me because it, are we finding out things about Scientology um that we didn't know or explain oh, the yeah. idea me, right. Like why yeah, is this get, because there's a lot of people who would be charged with those crimes and that wouldn't be, you know, so, the the religious aspect of it uh unless they were priests or something wouldn't come into play. Uh, so right. much as it does in this Scientology case, which I find fascinating. Well, let me let me yeah let me tell you about the big news this week. But in general, why Scientology? And the judge has been very you know uh, she's really wrestled with this and and has come up with some interesting rulings. She is allowing a limited a limited amount of testimony about Scientology because. These, you know, Danny Masson's accused of, of incidents that occurred between 2001 and 2003. They're very old. However, the women say they didn't come forward sooner because they didn't know about each other and because they were terrified of retaliation from Scientology. And so the, ju- the judge is allowing testimony about Scientology's policies in order to help understand that, but she's not allowing them to get into, like, Scientology beliefs and stuff. But okay. the key thing is, they're, in their ethics book, they do tell Scientologists, you can't turn in a fellow Scientologist. And uh, we've had testimony about that. Then this week, the bombshell. I had reported that one of the people on the prosecution's witness list was Lisa Marie Presley, who was raised in Scientology. I reported back in uh several years ago that she had left in 2014. Can I interrupt you real quick? Just real quick for a question. Just uh, was Elvis a Scientologist? No, he was, he really wanted nothing to do with it. He actually said that he hated the fact that they were after his money. But when he died, they reached out to Priscilla and they caught her to vulnerable moments. And they got Priscilla in and then she raised Lisa Marie in it. So, so, but then I reported that she had this, major falling out and left in 2014. Okay. But the big question was, so I reported, I broke the news that she was on the witness list, but all of us were wondering, why is she being called? We found out this week, incredible news. It turns out they wanted to ask Lisa Marie Presley to come in and testify that after Jane Doe won, one of these three women that are accusing Masterson, after her April 2003 incident, she immediately went to the church and they told her, well, you can't turn him into the police. But then she was talking about that she was going to defy the church and go to the LAPD. Lisa Marie was going to come in and testify that the church of, and she was close friends with Jane Doe One. She was going to testify that the Church of Scientology asked her to talk Jane Doe One out of going to the police. Wow. Laszlo, there's another name for that. It's called obstruction of justice. Right. In fact, in fact, Lisa Marie's attorney came to the prosecutor at the last minute, just like a week ago, and said, if she goes in to testify, I'm going to tell her to take the Fifth Amendment. When he said, the prosecutor said that in court, I couldn't believe it. That was the big moment of the whole trial. Lisa Marie Presley was planning on taking the Fifth Amendment. Why? Because she would not only be testifying that Scientology had committed a crime, but that she'd been part of it. So do and other... she wasn't going to incriminate herself. But DA gave her immunity, and she was going to come in and testify. And then the judge ruled, sorry, that's irrelevant to Danny Masterson. You can do it in a civil lawsuit. It's not part of his criminal wow. trial. So really disappointing. But we at least learned that, that Lisa Marie Presley is prepared to testify that the Church of Scientology tried to use her to keep a rape victim 
from going to the LAPD. So that's the kind of stuff that's been coming out of this trial. It's been pretty amazing. And do other names come out in this trial? Or I mean, are people like, I don't know, David Miscavige, the head of the church, are, are people like him being named in this? Is there a possibility that they would have to testify? Because I, I just kind of assume Church of Scientology seems like a fairly small group. Uh, I know, it, it, you know, David it, Mis- right. David Miscavige's name has come up, particularly in pretrial Um at one point, Judge Olmedo uh, made a you know made a statement. She she the the attorneys for Danny Masson about a year ago were really fighting on certain things. And at one point, she said, "You know, you can have David Miscavige come in and testify if you'd like." And then you should have seen the looks on these attorneys' faces. So she's kind of like you know brought him up, but not in the trial so much. Okay. And uh, one disappointment also was that at one point, Jane Doe One's mother was going to testify. And I have personal knowledge that she wrote emails to David Miscavige about this incident. Okay. And so I was hoping that testimony would come in, but the prosecution ultimately decided not to bring her in. We're getting very close to the end. The prosecution is going to rest Monday morning. Judge Omedo talked about the, the, the defense may not call any witnesses, which in cases like this is not that unusual. The defense is basically just all the cross-examination of the prosecution witnesses. We may have closing arguments by Tuesday. Okay. Uh, and definitely everybody wants a verdict by Friday so it doesn't go into Thanksgiving week. So, you know, after five years, uh, you know, when I first broke the news of the investigation, the DA first charged him in 2020. It's taken a long time to get here, but we're getting close. You know, one of the questions Lazo had for me, and Tony, I've read your books, I've watched the documentaries, I feel like I know above average when it comes to uh, Scientology. And Lazo just asked me this morning, he said, you know, uh, why do they have so many celebrities? And and I know he's asked me that before, and I know right, I've I asked you before. Understand. And I always I'm like, of, why is I'm it like, brother you know, Bass, Sustran, and Beck, like the right. same people? Why? How do they do that? With, with For such a small group, when you consider how many people are in the church uh, internationally, how do they have so many celebrities? I know about the Celebrity Center and all that stuff, but do they create the celebrities? Do they get them through the door, or do they just... Uh, go after people that are already sort of famous and try and get them to join the church. Or is some guy, my theory, and I've never even looked it up before, and you've studied this since the mid-90s, so it's far for me to tell you my theory, but I just have a thought that there's got to be like two studio executives in Hollywood who are Scientologists. Well, they've definitely had influence in the studios in the past, but I do want to caution you. I know it's easy to say they have so many celebrities, but they don't. They have a few. You know, I mean, it's the same names over and over again. Tom Cruise, John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, Elizabeth Moss, Bonnie Rabisi. And you said Beck, but Beck has said publicly he's left. Oh, they, right. have lost, they have lost a number of them. Besides Leah Remini and Beck, Laura Prepon last year said she was out. Uh, Jason Lee said he was out. So they're losing some grip on that. Um, but to answer your question, in 1955, L. Ron Hubbard, just a few years after he'd started this thing up, put out a document titled Project Celebrity. And he literally put a bounty on the heads of Hollywood figures telling his followers, if you bring any of these people in, I'll pay you a bonus. And then a few years after that, in the 60s, he created the Celebrity Center to cater to these people because – L. Ron Hubbard knew <clears throat> that he, he had given an instruction to people, you can't talk about Scientology outside of Scientology. They will not tell you what it's about. You have to come in. But they needed some sort of like, uh, you know, liaison or face for the public. And he realized that celebrities are the best way to do it. That's why... When you see an interview with Tom Cruise or Kirstie Alley, and you can get them to say anything, all they ever say is, it's helped me in my life. If you want to know more about it, take a book. You will never get a book. You will never get them to say, well, it's past life counseling, and we believe if you can remember what happened to you 10 million years ago on another planet, it'll help you with your life today. Right. I mean, they just will never say that. They actually should say it. When you said it, I was like, oh, man, I'm interested. Now Lazo's in. Ooh, DC-10s, other planets. Lazo, I've always said the space opera stuff is the most interesting part, but they keep it under wraps. Right, yeah, of course. Because you don't get that until you're, what, OT-8? What's the highest operating Thetan level? 
Tony's at eight OT8. or seven. OT eight. So at OT eight, they take no. you into a room with the briefcase, and that's when they tell you about the, the airplanes and volcanoes. We've talked about this before, and that's the part where I think I'd just be so pissed. Right after all that's that. OT three, actually. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. No, but you know the space opera stuff starts early. I know that we all think about OT three because that's the Z news story, and then OT eight as high as you can go. But yeah, you can actually get into the space opera stuff really early. They start. They start asking you to remember millions of years ago fairly early on. Oh. It's just it's not until OT3 that you learn about the Xenu story and, and the, that kind of stuff. But, no, space opera's all through it. And, and uh, so they worked very hard in the 70s in particular trying to bring in celebrities. And then some of the younger celebrities they have now grew up in it. So it's not like they got Right, recruited. right. That's what there's I think, too, right? Like, there's a lot of, like, you know, it was probably big in the 70s, right? My like, grandmother was a yeah. Scientologist, and I think it was the 70s, and I just assume, well, a lot of people were experimenting right. with they're Scientology. They were doing the hippie time. communions right. and stuff. So if you just said, oh, it's Scientology, and believe in Xenu, and you're like, yeah, great. This guy next door to me, better than the Mansons, <laughs> right. right? And so you just joined one, but now... You know, uh, the Mastersons and the Rubisis who just grew up in it, right? That's right. Elizabeth Moss, Erica Christensen, uh, Bonnie Rubisi, they all grew up in it. They have been able to recruit a few new, uh, younger ones, namely Laura Prepon and Michael Pena, but Laura Prepon left. So, you know, I think they're losing their grip, and they do not, they do not have the influence in Hollywood that they used to. Well, and what about their influence as a religion? What are their numbers estimate? You know, you're the expert. How many people do we think are practicing members of Scientology now around the world? Right. Well, they've always lied about it. They've always lied when they talked about millions. Based on uh, my conversations with former executives who had access to enrollment documents, it, it appears that Scientology's greatest height was around the year 1990, they had about 100,000 active members around the globe. Wow. They've never had the millions they claim. But they've been shrinking since then. And by, you know, the mid-2000s, it was down to about 40 or 50 or 40,000. And now the best estimate is about 20,000 worldwide. That's what I thought. It's a very small thing. I thought I'd heard you say that. And I know one of the things that I think you told told me about or I or I read, uh, we've got – because I, I – this comes up, my girlfriend has asked me about Scientology before, and I've told her, oh, you know, I've read the books, and Tony Ortega, and it's very interesting, and let me tell you what I know. But, like, in Kansas City, we've got this big building that pops up, and it's got a huge, brand-new, shiny, light-up Church of Scientology sign, and they go, well, there must be somebody, because we've got this big thing in Kansas City. And I said, I think that thing's empty, though. Don't they buy up real estate and put their name on it and then just kind of park it there to make it look like they're growing or that they haven't shrunk at least? Starting in 2003, David Miscavige came up with this idea. Um, he knew things were shrinking. He decided to start replacing their older, what they call orgs, short for organizations. He, he wanted to replace the existing orgs with these, you know, gleaming new cathedrals, basically. And so he's, you know, for the last 19 years around the world, he's been doing this. And Kansas City was just next on the list. It's not that there were more... Scientologists in Kansas City, or there was some need for it. It's just, okay, well, we've got one in Phoenix, we've got one in Tampa, we need one in Kansas City. And so they raise millions of dollars, buy that building, renovate it, have a grand opening, and then it's empty. Because the point is just to put on a show. But really what's going on, the reason why Scientology still exists today is not because it's growing, you know, it's not growing, it's shrinking, but they do have a number of really wealthy people that give David Miscavige millions. And in order to convince them that Scientology is still a healthy thing, he has to open, have these grand openings. He's putting on a show to convince the wealthy people to keep turning over millions. All right, hey, this is an, I have a ton of questions for you, and I want to get back to the Danny Masterson trial, but every time you say something, I just become more and more fascinated. We're talking to our friend Tony Ortega for friends for 20 years. Um, you say... How does like somebody like uh, okay? So I get L. Ron Hubbard. He writes the book, right? I I, I don't know, uh, and uh, you know he creates this religion and people follow it, and it is what it is. But how does somebody like Miscavige get to be the top dog, and then uh, run the thing, and then put on shows and people pay him like that? I mean, it's almost. I, I mean, it, is it like a, a? And I know, but I'm the guy who compares it to other religions, and you and Slim get super mad at me. But it almost feels like a Pope thing. 
Well, it was. Well, it's a it's a great question, and actually, uh, Mike Rinder, who was one of the top executives that came out, now has a book out called A Billion Years, and you should get it. It's great, and he, maybe better than anyone, has explained that how David Miscavige took over. Miscavige, uh, his father brought him into Scientology as a kid because he he had some asthma problems. They thought it might solve it, and he very quickly you know, distinguished himself as a young auditor, and by the time he was Man, like, if they would have just got him one of those breathing things, huh? The whole world would be different. <laughs> by the time he was like 16 or something, he was by Hubbard's side as, as a cameraman out in the California desert, and uh, just for some reason, Hubbard liked the kid. And so he just, you know, over the years, you know, science, there is kind of a children of the corn aspect to Scientology, where you have these young 16-year-old executives barking orders at everybody, and, you know, you better do what they say. And he was one of those. And just over the years, he consolidated power and maneuvered his way so that when Hubbard died in 1986, um, Miscavige was only, I think, 25 at that point. And he pushed out the few remaining people that might have taken over to become the absolute leader. And, and the thing is, Hubbard himself was in absolute control of this organization. Miscavige just, once he died, Miscavige just moved into that role, and so now he has absolute control over this entire enterprise. Yeah, he just seemed so, like a you know, ruthless he, opportunist, and he's uh, even when you go back and see those old videos of, of him when he was young or those pictures, he just has that look, that glazed look. I'm, I'm going to say he looks like a psychopath, and, right. and just the, the kind of person, he looks like a serial killer, honestly, and then you watch... Those old videos of him, you see him singing with the org choir or whatever the fuck they were. I don't know what they were. <laughs> and then when there's that that vacuum, that power vacuum, and Elrond's dead, it's like Miscavige just pops up and says, I'm in charge. And everyone seemed kind of surprised by it, but what are they going to do? And and like I said, Mike, Mike Render's book, A Billion Years, has some really great detail about the specifics about you know who he had to push out of the way and why and how. And then, you know, uh, it's tricky, though, because everything's still based on Hubbard. So he can't, he can't take over and say, I'm the new god or something. He's got to come over and always present everything as if he's trying to forward Ron's vision. But the people inside will tell you, actually, he's changing some of Ron's stuff. And it drove a lot of people away. So he's always got a kind of a delicate situation where he's thoroughly in control, but he always has to pretend that it's all for the greater glory of L. Ron Hubbard. Now, does he, and I'm just asking in general, does he say that he speaks to L. Ron Hubbard from beyond the grave? Or I, I think the Mormons have like a living prophet who's the closest thing to God, and the Catholics have a pope, right? Is, is, is that kind of this guy's uh, gig now? Is he the guy who's in contact with L. Ron Hubbard or the great space alien or whatever he's talking to? No, um, the official church story given to the members at the death, after the death, was that Ron has moved on uh, without a body, and they believe he's gone to some other planet to, to, to set up Scientology there. Mm. And so they're not expecting him to communicate with them. Or so then you don't back. really know that it's getting smaller. It could be getting bigger and bigger. Sure, and bigger. just not on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and while we're talking about David, I, I have to just, for people who aren't familiar with the Shelley Miscavige stuff, David's wife, th this story will never cease to fascinate me because just the idea, all right, I, so I live with my girlfriend. She has a family. She has friends. If one day she stopped talking to them, eventually her friends, her family, they're going to start asking me where she is. And if I say uh, she went away, she's, uh, let's just say I said uh, she went to rehab. She's in rehab. I, we decided to send her to this cabin. She's going to try and get off the uh, the sauce. You know, we got a big problem, and she wanted to fix her problem. I didn't want to fix mine, but that's where she is. I'd and, buy it. Right, you'd buy it. But then after about a year <laughs> like, right, or yeah. two, and they're saying, okay, why the fuck is she not back yet? I'm like, oh, she's still in the cabin. <laughs> you know, years into this, <laughs> I'm going, yeah. that easy, And they're son. like, none of us can get a hold of her. I would. The cops would come, and they would question me because the family would say, Reed, where the fuck is your girlfriend? And I, I would think that eventually there would be some sort of criminal charges because I would not be able to produce her 
uh, or sorry, if I don't produce her, then they're going to say, hey, you, we're going to assume that you did something nefarious unless you can tell us where she is. How does David get to say, oh, Shelly's out in a cabin. She's been there for years. No one sees or talks to her. How do the police not get involved? You know, it's a great question. And, and Leah Remini, I've, I've been covering the Shelly Miscavige situation for years. Uh, as you said, she's, she's the wife of David Miscavige. They were, they were running Scientology together for years. And then in late August, early September 2005, she left the uh, international base in Hemet where the hole was. People always ask me if she's in the hole, and I always point out, no, she left. She left from the base where the hole is, and she hasn't been seen since. In 2007, two, uh, in the summer of 2007, she was wherever they're keeping her. They allowed her out to go to her father's funeral very briefly, but then she's been, you know, gone ever since then. So 17 years they've been keeping her somewhere. So wait, when I she went out, when she got out to go see is. her her father's funeral, there were witnesses that saw that in 2007 she was alive. And with a handler, yes. Oh, okay. And I've talked to people who were there. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, you know, I have been for years writing about where we believe she is. They keep her at this one particular little mountain compound in the mountains above Los Angeles in San Bernardino County. And I've got, I even got a map to it. I can show you right where they, where they've been keeping her all this time. And well, I, you, you know, know this I, that that doing... she's there. Like you know this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got lots of lines of proof. And I, I know they're keeping her there. They really don't have her anywhere else they could keep her. And supposedly she's doing work there. She's happy, whatever. Um, Leah Remini, the day before, uh, yesterday, I guess, or was it, no, day before yesterday, she put out a whole new set of tweets because there's some new information about a uh, captain in the LAPD Hollywood division who turned out to be totally corrupt. And, and helped kill an investigation, a uh, sexual assault investigation regarding Les Moonves, the, C, the CBS CEO. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is that Leah and I have been writing about that guy for years, that he was Scientology's man in the LAPD. And now there's information that just absolutely establishes how corrupt this guy was. And so Leah put out this set of tweets on, on, on Wednesday, uh, Thursday, talking about, hey, by the way, the LAPD, right, the same one that told us that Shelly Miscavige was not missing. And so she's got it, it went totally viral. It, it caught so much attention yesterday that late last night, the LAPD had to put out a statement about it. Oh, really? So yeah. I have a story this morning on my Substack. Anybody interested in Shelly Miscavige, I go over the whole thing again. TonyOrtega.substack.com. I've got the LAPD's response on there. I've got links to Leah's tweets. And I've got a summary of all of my reporting about Shelly Miscavige. If you're interested in this, you definitely want to check that out. It's outrageous, Limfast. So I she's, mean, a, she's alive? Like the, I just assumed she was not alive. The reason why I say she's still alive is that a couple of times in the last couple of years when news organizations have asked Scientology about this, they've trotted out attorneys saying, I just saw her. I just talked to her. She's fine. She's working. And, I'm, and the thing is, I don't think a a lawyer would risk his law license to cover up for a murder or for a death. Okay. You know, I, I do believe she is still at that little base. She's doing that work, and she may even be resigned to her fate. But it is outrageous that David Miscavige could essentially ban his wife, banish his wife to a small mountain compound near Lake Arrowhead, California, for 17 years. Well, and isn't the rumor that something had someone had come to her, right? I, I forget the story exactly, but someone had come to Shelly uh, seeking guidance or help, or, or, or there was something that, that happened that at least most people believe led to David being upset with Shelly and banishing her to this compound. Well, there's, there's various reports. I think in general what had happened between uh, about 2000, um, Three and her dis and her disappearance in 2005. What was the big thing happening then? Besides the whole, was that you know that was when the real bromance blossomed between David Miscavige and Tom Cruise. Okay, and he, and and they they had become these incredibly close friends. And I have you know reporting from people that were there at the time saying that. Shelly was getting increasingly uncomfortable with it. Not so much because, because like, you know, 
they weren't part of that Hollywood world, and David was getting them into it, and it was kind of a hassle for Shelley. But I think that it was becoming an issue in their marriage, and then she had dared to do a few things and take the initiative at the base while Dave was gone at one point in 2000, early 2005. And when he came back, he blew a stack. Okay. And so the people that were around at that time say that combination of things, that she was uncomfortable with the kind of things he was doing and trying to get them into this whole Hollywood world, that she had started to show some initiative, and that bothered him. And just in general, he tended to be very paranoid about the people around him and saw threats everywhere. And so he just finally decided to make his wife go away. Is that it? Almost sounds like, like a the, almost like the same exact thing that happened to Martha Mitchell, right? You Am know I, what? It does have some similarities. I think you're right. Right? Like it's just you know all of a sudden that somebody's talking too much, and you've got a president who's paranoid, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, you got to go in a hotel room, and there's going to be so you know secret service there. We're not going to kill you, but stay here and shut yeah, your mouth, and, and we're not going to you can't read anything. Leslie, weren't they trying to portray her as like she was having a mental breakdown? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Like, you know, they, they, you know, she was crazy and she talked too much and she didn't know what she was talking about. And, you know, and they kept her away from everybody. And it almost feels like the exact same thing. Yeah, there's been some great stuff on her lately about how much we all owe to her because Watergate may never have broken out the yeah. way it did if she hadn't raised such a fuss. Right. But... With the, I, I'm honestly surprised to know that you believe that Shelley is alive. I just assumed that after all these, but I also understand that at some point there have been investigations and there have been police lawyers, whomever that, that have come back and said, yeah, you know, it seems like she's okay. She's at this compound. Well, I, the, I, to, for a pre, another reason, I'll tell you why I think that there's another piece, person who's really another woman who was very important in Scientology history. Her name was Ann Tidman, also known as Annie Broker. And they put her away. I mean, they put her, they hid her, and she was dying of cancer. She died in isolation. And, yeah, it took a little while for that news to get to me. But I knew that she had died within about four months. So I think it'll be even faster. If Shelly dies, they won't be able to keep that secret for too long. So this idea people have that he killed her 10 years ago and nobody knows, it's just not feasible. Okay. But at least um, Leah then, believes, and, I, based on her tone and things that I've heard her say in the past, she at least thinks that Shelly is there against her will or was there against her will for some time. I believe it as well. I, I, I don't know that she's – I think that based on some of my reporting and some of the people I've talked to, it's obvious to me that Shelly is aware of her situation. She understands that she is a prisoner and will never leave that place alive. But, like I also said, she may be resigned to that. I'm okay. not, I don't think she's trying to escape. But I do, I do believe, based on the things she has said to other people, she is aware of what's going on. All right. Hey, I want to shift gears, and I know we've been talking to you for a while, so if you ever have to get going, we could talk about this all day. I mean, the, inf the wealth of knowledge and information you have is unbelievable. But I want to go back to the celebrity thing, and I know uh, uh, it seems like it's musicians – and actors, and I've always had this question in the back of my mind, why no athletes? It seems to me like yeah. athletes would be the, 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 one of the easiest targets because, as, if we want to use the word target, uh, uh, because they're young, they're rich, and really kind of like motivation, self-help thing, not foreign to them as they're going through, you know, even middle school and high school and college, like, you know, a mental focus, a mental awareness, a mental clearness, you know, focus on your goals. These people can help you. Like, that wouldn't be weird for them and completely football players for sure, meldable by coaches who say, you listen to me and do what I say and you will be successful. Do not doubt me. Those people seem like they could really right. be Scientologists. Yeah. Uh, but I've never heard of any. They have tried, Laszlo. They have tried. They have not had a ton of success. Um, they have few NFL figures. I've noticed that um, each, any, whenever they get near the Super Bowl now, um, 
you know how the media gets where they just will cover anything football related. And Scientology's taking advantage of that with one of their front groups that does all the anti-drug stuff is they, they use as a spokesman Marshall Faulkner, the uh, great former running back. Okay, right, right okay. And he, and he pops up every January, you know, for these things. I Now, I'm not claiming he's a Scientologist, but he is fronting for a Scientology front group. Um, but they've had, they've had a few over the years, uh, but you're right. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, you know, I have great admiration for athletes and what they can do with their bodies, but I will point out that one of the key aspects of Scientology is it requires a ton of reading, and not oh. everybody's into it. Right. It's, it's, it's reading and, and auditing, right? For people who are not all that familiar with it, the, if I were to go to, uh, if I could find a church that actually had people in it or a Scientology center that had people in it, if I go there and say I'm interested, the first thing they're going to do is sit me down and, and give me a, a stress test, right? They're going to start auditing me immediately, correct? Is that is that how this all starts for everyone? The first thing they do generally are these um, what they call training, training routines, TRs, and they're staring contests. You just have to sit in a chair and stare at another person without blinking for as long, you know, for hours. What? Uh, and it's to to get it's this you know Welcome. subtle kind of control. Have a seat right over here. <laughs> We're so excited. How did you hear about us? You know, before we get to that, let's stare at each other for six hours. <laughs> I know that they used to. I think when they were doing better, when they had better numbers. I would see the Scientologists out and about. They'd be selling copies of Dianetics, and they would have a couple people out there with their little e-readers or whatever the hell they're called, e-machines. Wait, e-readers are books. What the fuck are those things e-meters. called? E-meters. E-meters. And they'd say, would you like, I've done it. I sat down and did this. And they'd say, oh, you know, this is spiking here. You know, what's going on with your uh, family? And, and I was because I was interested in it and uh, curious about, you know, how do they approach this? And I always was kind of under the assumption that that was how they, they, they got you in there was that, hey, we just want to do a little. It's basically psychology. You know, we just want to help relieve some of your stress and help you figure out what's going on in your life. And we'll do it with this very scientific machine here, these two tin cans that you're going to hold on to. Well, Have you, you know, never done it, Laszlo? Well, no. When I was in my 20s, my early 20s, me and a buddy of mine were walking around in a, a suburb of Detroit. And, um, you know, in your 20s, you're looking for anything, you know, beer and girls and God and whatever, yeah. right? It's a confusing time. And we saw this sign. It just said Scientology. It was in like a, you know, out in this kind of old downtown area. And we walked in because we were, I actually thought like, oh, maybe this is some sort of place. I'd never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe this is some sort of place that's going to explain like, why are we here through science? Like it made sense to me. Like, oh, this is a science-based thing and they're going to, I, maybe I can learn, like, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing? And then they started, they didn't really, and then I was like, you know, I, whatever it was, I realized quickly there was a religious was a aspect religion. to it, and we were like, oh, all right, fuck So they didn't, give, just, they didn't give you the meter, Nah, though? we were probably there for literally 10 minutes, and they started talking, and I think we got about 10 minutes into it, me and my buddy looked at each other like, yeah, this ain't what we're fucking looking for. You know, for when I did it with my buddies, what was interesting is we all did it kind of, I guess, as a, as a joke, but one of my friends, he does have some serious issues with, like, his dad left when he was a kid, and it's always been a huge issue in his life. And I was amazed when I came back over to see how he was doing, and, and these Scientologists were still talking to him. My other friend and I realized, oh, my God, they've already got him talking about his dad. They've already got him upset. And I, I could just sense it. Like, these people, they're, they're excited. They found some, They found his thing. Right. And they want to hold on to this thing. And then, of course, in, as I went on and started to learn more about Scientology and read Tony's books and, and see the documentaries, I, at least the rumor is, is, hey, this is how they keep you in there because they audit you. They get all this information that you maybe don't want to talk about to other people, all these secrets, let's say. And then they say, if you leave, we could, you know, expose these things. We could expose your secrets to your family, to the public, who, whoever it is. I mean, that's kind of the the running theory as to why a lot of these celebrities stay in Scientology as long as they do, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, uh, there is that threat of blackmail. But, but what I also point out to people is that's not what's keeping Tom Cruise in. Tom Cruise is a true believer. He really does believe that L. Ron Hubbard is the greatest human being that ever lived and that Earth is a prison planet, and only Scientology can uh, rescue it. I mean, that's, that's important to keep in mind as well. That, but I also want to point out that, that that move at the beginning that you described very well, is they have, they have a term for it. They say they're finding your ruin. That's finding the first, ruin. when you first come in and they start interviewing you, 
What they're looking for is your ruin. What is the thing? And you just you mentioned your friend's issue with his dad or whatever it is. They're trying to find that button that that you know uh, whether it's a bad relationship or problems in your career or you know something with your parents. They're looking for that thing that 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 you are very vulnerable on, and then they tell you they have the answers for everything. And and Laszlo, you're exactly right. When you're in your twenties, in particular. You're looking for that. You'd like to be part of a group that's going somewhere and doing right. something. And this and that's what they're selling. What what's ultimately what Scientology is selling is what we'd all like to have, and that is certainty. Because the world's a very uncertain place. It's a scary place. We don't there is no owner's manual to being a human being. They pretend they have one. All right. So this and is where me and you, Tony, start to disagree and you get mad at me. Because isn't that what all religions are selling? Certainty. Absolutely. No, I, mean, I, totally, I totally agree with you that that, that is what other uh, religions are selling. Um, and in, in some ways they are like other religions. But I, you know, I guess where we disagree is, for me, the whole religion thing is just a smokescreen. And this is just basically a parlor trick dressed up to be like a church. Well, and also right, but, my so wait, but my argument then is, couldn't we say that about Catholicism? Then they only it was a parlor trick as well. And the only difference is uh, Scientology is newer. The parlor trick was just older. Yes, but I, I think I, the other big difference is, is that they don't tell you what it's about. If I go to a, a Catholic church, right. they'll give you a copy of the Bible and they'll say, "This is what this is what we believe. Read it. You know, we believe it from from front to back." With Scientology, they've had to change a little bit, I think, because of the Internet and because of the coverage that they've gotten in TV. But with Scientology, when you ask them what they were about, what they believed, they wouldn't tell you. They would straight up lie to you. And the people that you were asking a lot of times didn't know, even though they'd been in the church for a yeah, while. That sounds like they a lot of church, too. Yeah. The more you come, the more you'll be enlightened. And the, and the more you a, pray to God, a, the more well, the more will be revealed to you. I'm just saying, you know, look, you can argue that, but to me that's semantics. The end game is still out there. Which is the more you go to church, the more you pray, the more you learn, more will be revealed to you. I agree with that. And so, no, not, I I disagree because if you know the thing is uh, Christianity, um, Islam, uh, Judaism, you can explain the basics of it in a minute or two. I mean, and it doesn't change. Yes, I mean Christianity, you accept Jesus as your savior and you'll live forever. That's it. Now you could be a Christian for thirty years, and that's still essentially what it's about. Scientology wants you to spend years and hundreds of thousands of dollars before they tell you even the most basic truths about it. Okay, so and let that's me ask more you this. Okay, game. that's sure. But the so the so they tell you the current upfront in Christianity. But they're still selling certainty and in order to do that you have to continue to come here and talk to us and be a part of the church community every Sunday. So what? So they tell you their con upfront and the other guys keep the con away from you. Uh, for years, but they're still asking you to come in and give them money, and they're still both making millions and billions of dollars, and the Catholics are still moving priests around after they do horrible, horrible crimes, and you're still paying them, and they're still getting insurance money. Like, I I'm just saying, like, and I know uh, uh, I tend to be in the minority here, but the cons sound, as a guy who's not religious at all, the cons sound a lot uh, more similar than they do different. And I, and I agree with you. I, the, the reason why I became so interested in Scientology from the beginning was not that aspect of it. I mean, I, I kind of felt the same way that all religions have these crazy beliefs. But what retracted to me to it was the idea that if you dare leave, they will track you down. They will destroy your family. I mean, that's what's so interesting to me is this thing openly operates like a mafia right. and gets away with it. And right. that's what I find so fascinating about Scientology. Sure. I really don't dwell on the beliefs all that much. Well, part of what makes right. it fascinating, too, though, is that when I became interested in it, it's because I, I would say, what is, my grandmother, like I mentioned earlier, she was a Scientologist, and that was something that my dad had mentioned. I didn't really know what that was. And then I'd hear about it. I hear that some celebrities are Scientologists. I'd ask, what does it mean? People weren't really sure, and you start looking into it. And it, the answers weren't right there in, in front of me. You know, you, it was all kind of secretive. And that's part of what's intriguing about it as a, as a subject is just because it is mysterious. There are these things that they lie about, that they hide. And the fact that their core beliefs, at least, yes, we've had the South Park episodes now. We've had all these things we know about 
the the DC tens and the volcanoes. But but the fact that the church would tell you that that wasn't true, that Kirstie Alley would sit down in an interview and say that's so ridiculous. That's you know no. And and I don't know as someone who's not a Scientologist watching an interview with someone like her. I don't know if she just doesn't know that that's what Scientology believes or if she's lying for the sake of I don't know because it's all kind of mysterious I really don't know exactly what they believe and now of course I think I know and 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 Tony you've even though you weren't a Scientologist yourself you've covered it for 30 years now and you've worked so closely with so many people who are in the church for so long I think it's safe to assume that we we know what it is that they believe and we know what it is that they're told behind those closed doors for the most part and it, it is it is interesting still yeah, it's fun. It's crazy. I mean, uh, listen, Kirstie Alley's OTH. There's nothing being held from her behind, you know, no secrets being kept from her. She knows it all. Right. And you're absolutely right. She will still look in the camera and act like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's that's just that's just flat out fascinating. You know? Right, it is. They, it, it really, really is. If you said some someone who said, I'm Catholic, if you had a celebrity who's Catholic, and you say, you know, so you believe Jesus Christ died and then came back and that he's your savior? And they're like, no, that's so ridiculous. Of course I don't believe that. Right. That's absurd. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. Like, but your Bible says that. Like, oh, you don't understand. You know, I'm so sick of you people being anti-Catholic. But then you go to church and that's what you guys talked about. That's such a weird thing. Just, it's so bizarre to, to an outsider. It is. Absolutely. You nailed it. Lazo, I thought you had something there that you were well. No, add. I mean, I just think you know. Uh, yes, I. I That's just what I makes get it what you're saying, but but you know, we could go back and forth on it all day. I just tend to think whenever I look at religions and you know youth pastors and pastors and saying that they know everything that uh, that the Bible has to offer, and I hear all the different takes from a from a Southern Baptist to a Herschel Walker to. I mean, the answers you know don't always seem to be as clearly defined as you guys tend to make them. I've heard people say who are very religious, who are Christians, are saying that the Bible is just a story. Right. And that, of course, we don't take it literal. And we say, oh, but uh, the Bible doesn't change. We can sell that. Really? Well, what about purgatory? Because we just changed that, and it was only 10 years ago that we decided that that was the case, that it changed. Like, the, the goalposts move. I agree with you that they're more similar than they are different. Right. I think it's the differences that make Scientology so fascinating, though. That's all I'm and saying. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I'm just saying sometimes, you know, we tend to focus on, like, how crazy it is. And I think it's important that we kind of bring in the fact that they're all... I'm not saying, you know, Scientology isn't worse. I'm just saying it's important when we talk about this that so we kind of say, hey, they're all a little crazy. Right, of course. But, you know, about I'm guessing excommunication time. was a lot different in uh, 1890 and 1940 than it, was, than it is in 2022. The only problem I have with that you know, all, sort of all religions argument is that, you know, people will point out, well, yeah, the Catholic Church was like this thousand years ago. Um, the, the problem I have is that, you know, I'm bringing forward all these abuses, all these families that have been ripped apart, all these children that have been abused by Scientology. I'm, we're bringing Leah Remini, Mike Rinder, you know, we're, we're bringing these stories forward. It's when people say, yeah, but all religions are bad, and then use that as an excuse not to do anything. No, you're right. Yeah, I agree about all. that. Now, that I agree about, and we should be doing something about Scientology, not giving them a pass because priests rape children. That's not okay. That's not my point here. My point is, you know, right. let's hope that everybody's doing something about all of these. And, Tony, do you think Scientology yeah. has a future? Because I would just think things like the Internet, things like your books, the, the documentaries— it's got to make it hard for them to recruit new members. Do they just go, you know, to more impoverished parts of the world? How do, how do they continue like to exist? Like cigarette companies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't know right. how they Is continue the to exist for like, you know, Cigarette companies are like, ah, they got all these stop-smoking ads everywhere. Right. Let's go to China well, and India. No rules. Smoke. Yeah. How do they, how do they well, continue? Well, I, I think the pandemic was really tough on Scientology, and part of which is, the reason is that you know they really they really focus on milieu control, which means that you need to go in the org. They need to keep pounding this into your head, and now all of a sudden everyone's stuck at home, uh. and they can't practice that. I think that was I think that was really tough on them. Um, they're trying to make a comeback now from that, but the recruiting is very tough in the U.S. because the media is so you know pervasive in the internet. So yeah, I mean I've I've gathered some evidence which suggests. They're doing a little better in places like Taiwan and Mexico. 
and they're having a much harder time in their traditional areas of the United States, Australia, the UK, and South Africa. So they're trying to make it up in places like Hungary and South America. Uh, but I, even there, I think they're having a tough... And the reason why it's a little tough to go to the third world in particular is Scientology is really expensive. Yeah, uh, right, right. So you're going to have only like limited prospects in countries like that. Right, it's the hockey of church. Right, yeah, it's expensive. Right? I mean, I'm being honest, it's kind of like, kind of like of a it. country club type of thing, right? I mean, not everybody yeah. can play hockey if you're a kid, and not everybody can go to the Church of Scientology. I will say that is a difference in the religions. You know, when you come in, if you don't put any money in the basket, it nope. is what it is. You're supposed to, and you're supposed to die, but yeah, yeah you, you can keep coming out. back. Whereas right. a Scientology, what does it cost to get audited in the United States? What does that cost per hour, Tony? Well, once you get into the OT levels, you're talking seven, $800 an hour. And, you know, you're supposed to be doing it for many, many, I mean, like, you know, weeks. Yeah. The, the costs are insane. I mean, the, the, you know, Mark Headley helped me figure out that to get all the way to OT8, you're talking a million or two. And that's wow. not just for the cost of the auditing. That's cost for, you have to go to these certain facilities and stay there. You have to make donations. It's a very expensive thing. Well, Tony, hey, hey, real quick, real quick. I just want to ask you because I know you're in L.A., and uh, we didn't really hit on the Danny Masterson trial too much. We did at the beginning. Um, but one of the things is, does Scientology money, so uh, Danny Masterson gets accused, uh, is it two girls now? But more girls have come out, right? He's, he's charged with forcibly raping three different women who were Scientologists at the time. Okay. Uh, a fourth Jane Doe testified this past week. She gave me permission to identify her. She's the actress Trisha Vesey. Did very interesting testimony last uh, this past week. Um, there's also a Jane Doe Five, uh, uh, who has been named. She named herself. Her name is Bobette Realis. She's involved in the civil lawsuit, and I know about additional women who spoke to the LAPD. So uh, yeah, I mean that's part of the story is that there are these multiple victims who all tell similar stories about being given a drink by Danny Masterson and then being suspiciously intoxicated. They can't testify that they were drugged because they don't have any evidence of it, but the clear inference is there, and then that they were violently raped by him. And it's, we've, we've sat through some brutal testimony over the last four weeks. And what was your question going to be, Lazo, about whether or not they cover? Well, for yeah, or? now you just brought up the Trisha Vesey thing, and I looked her up, and she, you know, again, this music... And actors and actresses in Scientology. So she apparently was married to the guy who started the Brian Jonestown massacre. Like, uh, you know, not a Laszlo. She was never a Scientologist. Okay, but she, okay, she wasn't. Right. The other three, yes, but Jane Doe four, Trisha Vesey, no. Okay, got it. All right, all right. So um, my question is: So Danny Masterson gets accused of this. Uh, he goes to court. Does the Church of Scientology pay his legal fees? Are they like, do they help him through this because they don't want him? Like, if, 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 if you know, if he gets convicted, that clearly that, that's not a good look for them. Uh, and you said obviously that the church behind the scenes uh, earlier in our interview with you had talked to, you know, Lisa Marie Presley or, and so and tried to get, you know, people to not testify. Are they paying for the, in, in, for the legal fees? That's a really good question, Laszlo. Um, to get here, uh, th this case has had to go through a lot of pretrial things. And a year ago in Los Angeles, they had a preliminary hearing. Uh, in the preliminary hearing, the judge has to decide whether there's enough evidence to have a trial. So they had the three women testify for the first time. This was in May of last year, and I came out. At that time, Danny's attorney was Tom Mesereau, the famous defense attorney who represented Michael Jackson and Robert Blake and Bill Cosby. Okay. And um, I presented evidence. I reported on that, and I showed there was very little question that Tom Mesereau was either taking direction from David Miscavige or was influenced by David Miscavige um, based on the things he did during that preliminary hearing, a subpoena. He tried to subpoena me, by the way. He did? Me into the case. Ouch. And what yeah, happened? I had to, yeah. 
he it was really fascinating because right during the middle of the preliminary hearing, I'm sitting there in the hallway trying to work on a story, and some guy comes up to me and says, are you Tony Ortega? I said, yeah. He said, here, this is for you, right? <laughs> and he hands me this document. Right. And it's a subpoena from Tom Mesero uh, asking for me to turn over all my documents related to the case and um, specifically for uh, any, anybody who's told me anything about harassment by the Church of Scientology. Well, that was the giveaway, because that's not part of the Danny Masterson trial. So it was very clear that Mesro was instructed to use the subpoena power of the court to try to get information from me, and they also subpoenaed a bunch of other people, the victims, uh, the LAPD, um, to try to get any information that could be useful for Scientology in the civil lawsuit. See, there's another, besides the criminal prosecution of Danny Madison, the women have filed a lawsuit against him and Scientology for the harassment they say they've been through. They're not suing him for the rapes. They're suing them for the harassment, and the Church of Scientology oh. is a party in that case. So Judge Omedo, I can tell you, she was really angry. Because it was very obvious that Mesro was trying to use the power of subpoena in her court to try to help Scientology in its lawsuit. And that's why I can tell you definitively, Mesro was taking direction from David Miscavige. Now, whether Miscavige was paying his bill, I, I would suggest that that certainly seems like a possibility to me. But, you know, Danny's obviously spending a lot of money. He sold a house in Hollywood for $6 million during all this. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure he's paying his own bills. Right. $6 million But I think it's a very good question whether Scientology is also helping well. him to pay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess, look, I mean, there are some religions, or I, I don't know about religions, but the point is they could say anytime someone gets in trouble, hey, we're distancing ourselves from this person. Yeah, they don't, we don't do want that. They don't seem to do that. They seem to try well, and— Well, they have it. In fact— in fact, at one point during the criminal trial uh, earlier this year, they had an attorney for the church come in and try to intervene in the case wow. because they didn't like a ruling the judge had made. I thought it was mind-blowing that they, they not only have not thrown uh, Danny under the bus, they've not only not distanced themselves, they've literally tried to intervene in the case. And help him. Well... They didn't like what the church had said about the about Scientology, and oh, and so they weren't coming in and overtly trying to help Danny, but they were coming in and objecting that she had said, "Look, the policies clearly state you're not supposed to turn another Scientologist into the civil authorities." And it's it's one of these bizarre situations, Laszlo, where it's right there in their book. You cannot turn a fellow Scientologist into civil authorities. And it's, it's something every Scientologist who leaves will tell you. Oh, yeah, of course, we were all told that. And Baghdad Bob, in the form of Karen Powell, their spokesperson, just says it over and over again to the, uh, to the press. Scientology has no policy against turning people in. Of course. It's right, it's right there. The judge cited it in court. But they just, you know, they just think if they lie about it enough times, it'll get through to the public, I guess. All right. Well, man, we could talk to you for days and days and days. It is it, uh, the whole thing's fascinating. And um, and I've Tony, just anytime, like I mentioned a couple of times already, but anytime there's a documentary on about Scientology, I go, oh, Tony's going to be in this all bet. And yeah. you always are. I've listened to you over the years. I've uh, you've done some podcast interviews. I've tried to listen to every single one of them because this never stops being interesting to me, or at least you never stop. Uh, being interesting. I've read both of the books. I recommend that people uh, read both of them. Um, and, of course, the Substack is still going, or I say uh, the Substack is still going. The Underground Bunker is well, still going. Uh, you now have uh, a Substack. Yeah. Let me just, just say, please sign up for free emails at tonyortega.substack.com. All the stories I put on there are free. The only thing that, that I do have some generous paid um, subscribers, and what I do is I let them see the videos and hear the podcasts first. But eventually, everybody gets to see everything from, for nothing. So please, and, the, and what I've been doing is I've been sitting in the courtroom, typing everything everybody says, and then running out to the hall during the break and immediately putting it out. And people love that because there's no cameras in this courtroom, and so they feel like it's the next best thing is that I'm really giving them a sense of what's going on this week, this is the last week, so please sign up for free emails 
at TonyOrtega.substack.com. You, hey, real quick, before we let you go, do you got a feeling on how this case is going to go? Like you've been there watching well, it. I was, you know. Yeah, I was telling, we were talking about this in the podcast this week, and I really feel both sides think they're winning. Okay. And I, and I, don't, I really don't know what the, the jury is, is thinking, so I don't like to predict. But uh, both the prosecution and the defense, I think, believe They've done a good job, and they think they're going to win. And so I really don't know what to think. All right. And well, he's facing 45 years? Is that what I saw somewhere? It, he's, uh, they charged him under California's one-strike law for sexual assault, multiple assault. If he's convicted of all three, he's looking at 45 years to life in prison. Now, the tricky thing is they have to get two. If he's only convicted on one of those three rapes, he walks. Why? Because... The, it, the, if they couldn't charge him on any individual case because they're too old. Oh, But under, okay. the, uh, under the one strike law, if there's multiple, that's okay. the key word. If there's multiple, then it carries a possible life sentence and there's no statute of limitations. So they filed three, they need two. If, okay. if they can get two guilty verdicts, He's going to prison, but they need to. So it's 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 going to be very interesting. Okay, Tony Ortega, go sign up for yeah. his Substack right now. Give him your email and go read his books. And... Hey man, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, I always enjoy it. I miss Kansas City, and I, I, I'm glad you're still doing this, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I got to run though. It's Saturday. Got to get to my auditor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. You bet. Talk to you later. See ya. And that is it. A huge thank you to our friend Tony Ortega for calling in today. Check out TonyOrtega.substack.com to keep up with all of his work. Toxic and Problematic is produced by Spencer Wolf, which is my name. Music graciously provided by our friend George, who can be found at Kid Computer on Instagram. If you enjoyed today's show and would like to help support us, there is a link to donate in the episode's show description or show notes. And as always, check out Lazo.church for everything else. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.